Welcome to Continuous Plays, The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective featuring Brian Thomas. This is probably my favorite Buffy episode of the whole series. And Jay Newcastle. I mean, seriously. Okay, I got real problems. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios, and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Welcome to The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian, and we're here to talk about Season 4, Episode 12, A New Man, written by Jane Espenson. Our old friend Ethan Rain is back in town, and we all know what that means. Trouble. Giles feels out of the loop as he learns that Buffy is dating Riley, that she is enamored with Professor Walsh, and that Riley is one of the commandos, something that everyone but him knew. Giles goes to see Professor Walsh and is further insulted when Walsh tells him that Buffy lacks a good father figure. Ethan Rain turns up and he and Giles spend the night drinking for old times' sakes. During the conversation, Ethan reveals that the evil community is afraid of something called the 314, but they mostly wallow in Giles' sorrow. Giles wakes up the next morning and sees that Ethan has turned him into a demon. Unable to speak English, he can't communicate with the gang, so he ends up turning to Spike for help while Buffy and the gang hunt him down. Thinking that the demon killed Giles, Buffy does stab him, but recognizes in his eyes in the nick of time that it is Giles. Ethan Rain reverses the spell and is taken into custody by Riley and the Initiative. Back at the Initiative, Professor Walsh steps into a high-security room, 314. And that is the plot summary for A New Man, Jay. This is interesting because we finally get an idea of what really is going to end up being the big bad here. This notion of 314. And we also learn that the initiative may be behind it. Yeah, that's the that's your first clue that, uh-oh, the initiative is not good necessarily they may have nefarious intentions isn't that always the case you know with these things they never are what they turn out uh, you know, initially seem to be there's always more to meet the eye i mean that they've kind of played on that for a bit and almost to the point that you're like no that's too obvious but then uh, that may be the problem but you know what i like about this episode though brian is that it's a giles episode you know if we're going to go off of buffy for a little bit and we do that from time to time on this show and focus on other characters it's high time we got a real giles centric episode hadn't really had one since the dark age you know it's been a while no. since it's been a giles episode yeah, it has, and I like that too. We had to kind of get a good feeling for what Giles' role is going to be, and it's nice to see that he's even thinking that he's just so out of the loop now and feels useless throughout this episode, only to know that you know the gang really needs Giles. And what I liked about this episode is when they're trying to figure out what to do or how to to you know get this demon, they all make the hints to the fact that if Giles were here. He would, he would probably know exactly where to look and how to find out what the demon is and all this other stuff. So you get a good sense that, you know, while Giles may feel a little worthless, he's definitely not. Well, yeah, but at the party, they all make him feel worthless, even though they don't intend to. Right, they yes. all they all do stuff that make him feel like a fifth wheel. Yeah, even Anya's the one that calls it out, and and uh, Xander is just to be like, "Remember, we talked about this." Right. You right. can't be rude to people. I mean, Buffy even says, "Is like, oh no, Professor Walsh wouldn't be here. She's forty or something. She's got better things to do than hang out with a bunch of kids." And he's <laughs> just like, "Gee, thanks a lot, Buffy." And I right. thought that 
that was great. And I, I liked that. I liked that they called out all the stuff that, again, we know as the audience. But we're curious, is anybody else noticing this or caring to notice this? And I liked that. I thought that was neat. It was a neat little turn of things for him and his character. I agree. I thought it was neat, too. And, and I think it just shows that the gang doesn't look at him as an old man of the group. They look at him as part of the group and treat him as part of the group would be treated. And, and, uh, even though making s- certain comments that make him see, you know, feel old and out of place, that's not their intention. They're just Giles is Giles. He's part of the gang. Yeah. And, and that's the other side of it. They're not aware that they're hurting his feelings. Like they, they just consider him to be part of the gang and part of the group. Like you said, and I like that. I like the fact that, um, he, I like the fact that it's really all in Giles' own head, that he feels out of place, that he feels disconnected, you know. And I think there's another larger thing at play here, too, this this relationship with mentors. You know, he's he's Buffy's mentor, but Professor Walsh has really enamored her, and she really likes her, and all she can talk about is Walsh, 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 Walsh. And even Giles goes to see this Maggie Walsh, and he can't stand her. He hates her because he considers himself an academic, and he is in his own right, but in a different world than where she is. And she talks to him the way I've seen college professors talk to other people that I respect because they don't consider them on the same level. You know, and she just seems like she's so much above him. And I thought, geez, I've seen that happen. And it's so, I could see why that would frustrate him and, and uh, why he's wary of her and her influence on Buffy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Walsh is kind of uh, harsh with everyone and no exception to Giles either here too. Before we get into more of the Giles part though, I do want to talk a little bit about what goes on with the initiative too. Uh, it's a, it's a small part, but an, an important part of the story. And that's that, uh, Riley has finally introduced Buffy to the initiative as the Slayer. And what I, I just like some of the interactions they have here because, uh, you get, you know, Professor Walsh basically trying to make light of Buffy's role compared to hers. He's saying, you know, we have all these high powered weapons and what do you, you stake them through the heart? So that's gotta be a compelling method. And then she tries to brag up her group by saying that Riley has captured or killed 17 hostiles. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I busted out laughing when that first was said. Just like, oh man. And Buffy doesn't say anything right then, but she does tell <laughs> Riley more about it later, and he's just totally intimidated at that point by her, because she's done so much more than he could ever imagine. Well, the metaphor there is what experience, right? right. Buffy's been and lived, and she even told him this last episode, right, that she's lived on the Hellmouth for three years. She went to high school on it. She's seen so much more than he has and has done way more than he could ever do. And I, I was thinking, I was like, Buffy probably staked 17 vamps in the first three or four episodes <laughs> yeah. of this show. You know, I mean, I was like, gosh, that's all the time. And I, I mean, I, I'm just blown away by it. But I love that, though, because he would hold that up as a, that's a big deal. And he's proud of it. And she's trying to to make him feel okay about it. Right, right. You know, and, and I love the fact that they have to spar against each other. And she's like, she, he says, don't hold back, don't hold back. And she kicks him through the friggin' wall. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly what should happen. Exactly. And I, But you know what? I had a question, though, Brian. I'm like, that should have killed him. I'm like, man, Riley must be in incredible shape. And I thought, that was the first time I got a hint. I was like, huh, I wonder if like they've done something for these initiative guys. Like, are they on something or whatever? Because that, I mean, that kind of beating should lay a lot of people out more than it does. 
I don't think it would kill anyone, but he'd probably break a rib or two easily. Yeah. And he did land on a nice soft pad, so it's not like he landed into a wall. This is true, but her foot hit him square in the <laughs> sternum, so. Yeah. I mean, she, she belted break I, it. I, yeah, I mean, it's just a little thing, but I, I did like that moment. It's a cute moment between them, because the whole bit is that Riley is trying to measure up, and he just can't. There's just right. He'll never measure up to Buffy's kill ratio. I don't, somebody out there in the Internet's probably done it. I'd love to see, like, a tally up to this point. If one of our listeners wants to tweet it to us or, or post it on Facebook, how many things has Buffy slayed that we know of for sure at this point? I'd love to see the count. It's got to be in the hundreds, if not more. Oh, I mean, this easily, yeah. It's amazing, yeah, I'm sure. So I just, I'm sure there's a list of that. There's a like you can find any horror movie. There's like a list of everybody Jason's killed and stuff. I'm sure there's one for Buffy out there too. But if somebody wants to put that on our, our page or, or something like that, I'll throw it out there. Our listeners are great and can get us that info. It'd be cool to know. But yeah, 17, not, uh, not. Uh, I mean, impressive for for a human. That is impressive. I'm going to say that that's impressive. But you know what? I dare say Xander and Willow have probably killed at least 17 things too. That's true. <laughs> and, and that's true. They're pretty useless compared to Riley in a fight, and that I just find that funny. But it, it's played for good character moments, like you say. The other cool um, side story in this one, outside of the Giles arc, is the whole Willow-Terra dynamic. We see them practicing magic again with each other, and they're combining their strengths. To, and the goal was to float this rose and then pull the petals off one by one. So they get the rose to float, and then you see them both get excited, and then it all goes nuts, and the, the it basically becomes a shooting dart flying across the room before it collapses. Now, my thought, I don't know about you, my thought was is that they still don't have complete control over their magic, and that's what caused it to do that. Her belief is that it's dark magic, and I guess that kind of fits into the theme of what's going on in this episode, but what do you think? Do you think it's more of Willow doesn't have complete control of the magic yet, or do you think it is that the dark magic was blocking the spell? I think it's that they don't have control yeah. over the magic yet, mm -hmm. but I think it's also that Willow's attuned to all this stuff. Because, you know, remember, doing that spell with the Orb of Thessala passed a lot of power through her, so it opened up a door in her that wasn't there before. So she's receptive of things that she wouldn't have been before. Sure. And I, I think she got distracted. You know, we've seen that before. Remember in the, the haunted house episode, fear itself, she gets a little distracted and her mind starts going and everything goes haywire. I think she sensed that dark magic as she was tapped into the magic and it got her distracted for a second and then haywire. But I think it also tells us too, Tara's got some, got some oomph on the spell in too, because she clearly can do some pretty powerful stuff. And I, I'm, I'm starting to like this growing relationship between them. I think it's a it's a neat thing, and I like that they're playing it slow. Yeah, yeah. and I'm I'm glad they're playing this slow because I think we can all see where this is going. But I like the way they're playing it, and and our care and our characters are are playing it right too. We got to call out our two actors here are doing. Yeah, and I think that knowing where it goes, maybe you can see that. But I don't think if you're watching this for the first time, you kind of get where it's going yet. I think you just see a, a good bond of, of witches here. I can, can can tell you I called it 
when I first saw it. I remember that distinctly, having that conversation with some friends, and we all saw the same thing. We thought, yep, this they're going there, and, and we'll get there, and then we'll talk about that when we get there. But I, I do remember that, and um, I'm rare to ever catch that kind of thing, so it, it was one of those common <laughs> moments for me. That's why I remember it. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I like that too. But, but man, we'll, we got to talk about Ethan Rain, man. This is my man, Ethan Rain. Every time he shows up, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> it's always great. He's the, he's the source of one of your favorite episodes of all time, man, Band mm-hmm. Candy. I mean, this, you know, the Halloween episode. How can we forget Ethan Rain? I mean, this guy is awesome, and I knew it. When he walked out, I was like, yes, Ethan Rain is back. This is going to be fantastic. And I knew it was going to be some some trick. He's always into the prank. And that, to me, is what's neat about Ethan Rain, is that he plays with this dark-ass magic, but it's all a joke to him. Yeah, I like Ethan Rain's character. He... he... You're almost wondering if he knows exactly what the hell he's doing or if he's just doing it for for shits and giggles. I mean, honestly, he just seems to show up just for just for fun. To, let's see what kind of chaos we can cause in Sunnydale this time. And almost always to get on Giles' nerves. Like It's like his whole goal is to get on Giles' nerves. He's there for two reasons. One, because he wants to probe Giles to see what's this 314 yep. business. Does your Slayer know anything about it? After he realizes they don't know anything either, then it's like, well, okay, I'm also going to screw with Giles now because it's fun yeah. to me. And I like how he plays him in the bar. He's like, oh, when you went to the Louvre, I slipped a poison in your drink. I'm just right. kidding, mate. Right. Ah. I like the seriousness behind Giles when he, when he tells him that. And Giles is like, what? And he's just like... I- I'm going to die. <laughs> Just kidding. I thought that was done really well. Done really well. Because Ethan Rain would never do something like that. Like, you yeah. think he would, but he really wouldn't. He's just a prankster. That's his gig. He's in it for the fun. He's rock and right. roll. He likes to cause chaos. He doesn't want to cause death. Just chaos. Yeah, he worships chaos. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's his whole bit. And I love that. And it's it's his whole presence here is hilarious to me, and I love the thing he turns Giles into. He's like this half ram, half I don't he's know, a feral demon. I don't know what the world is. Yeah, it's very weird, and he's, he grunts and growls, and his whole motive as a feral demon is to smash. <laughs> Which and I love that Spike is the only one that can understand him. That that's hilarious. Giles, why are you speaking feral demon? <laughs> no, this is awesome, and I like that. I like that uh, Spike. Mike is trying to encourage Jaws to give in to his demon half now. It's Jaws like he's like, "How you feeling? I want to smash something." <laughs> a good feral demon, you know? and, then, and and I love how he's like, "No, I'm a human. I'm just a man." And then he sees Maggie Walsh. He's like, "Stop oh, the car!" And he gets out and chases her. Up was my favorite part of the whole episode. I laughed so hard when he did that because it, it, it's so true. You got someone you just genuinely dislike what better way than to just freak the crap out of him i mean that's something i think everyone wanted to do someone at some point and here he's got his chance he's this demon he jumps out the car and starts growling and chasing her and scares the bejesus out of her it was just awesome this is what kills me is that that stuff still scares her i'm like lady you're around this whole day you gotta (laughs) realize that she's not in the hunt she's not there she's got them when they're in controlled circumstances so this is a loose demon she doesn't know how to fight them she's not on the front lines she's a scientist you're right she's in the she's on the side you're right i forgot that's a good point i did i and this is the second time now on the show that she's been attacked by a demon you had the werewolves uh, in the episode earlier, and now this demon, and she doesn't know how to act there. She she'd be killed. 
No, she doesn't have any defense mechanism. Yeah, you're right. It's, well, her defense mechanism is to run and scream, which is what she does really well. Exactly. <laughs> no, I love the fact that, that Giles can't, no one can understand him except Spike. And that that's funny to me. And, uh, you know, Spike, again, is just sort of in here just to drive Giles around and be funny and to totally wreck his car, which was awesome. <laughs> he just crashed that thing. <laughs> it's perfectly serviceable. And it's like, it's funny to hear a feral demon say the word serviceable. <laughs> She's like, want me <laughs> yeah. to crush things? Want to crush. <laughs> So, and, uh, right. you know, you get a little bit more of Spike, you know, that he's, he, he knows the demon world well, man. I mean, you know, so if they're going to have him around, at least have him be useful. I'm, I'm with you. I'll, he worked for me here and I, I like it, but I like it. It all ultimately comes down to, you know, Buffy and the gang are like, we're going to get the thing that killed Giles and they trace it all back to, um, well, Giles is, is the one that says, Hey, he, you know, Ethan Rain was hitting on some bartenders. You know, you go in the bar, Spike and see if you can get her to cough it up. And I love how Spike gets to play the little detective there. And he does the little lines back and forth with her and he's smooth talking her and he gets the info. And right. I thought that was great. I was like, that's a, that's exactly what Spike should be. He should be your informant, you know, to the, He's yep. the new Willie or whatever, you know. He, that's what he needs to be for you guys. Yeah, the new Willie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and they you know they go to the Rat Trap Hotel where Ethan, of course, is packing up, trying to get ready to go. And Giles gets there and he's ready to, you know, throw down. And then Buffy gets there and Riley gets there. There's all this fighting going. And I love how Buffy's idea of stabbing him with silver is a letter opener. <laughs> it's, like, it's not even real silver, right? <laughs> Thankfully, right? You know, oh. And I like how she starts beating the crap out of Giles. And, and of course, Giles being the feral demon now, his only instinct is to fight back. So he's fighting against his own charge, not even realizing anything. And then, yeah, I, I thought the, the whole end was done really well. Yeah, and I, I like it. I love when it gets reversed. He's putting on Ethan's you know wacky clothes or whatever. And Ethan has the best line. I really got to learn how to get out of town. <laughs> you know, yeah, he always hangs around, and that's what gets town, him. Yeah. And that was awesome. But I thought he was ready to go away, and then they arrested him. And I'm like, oh no, no more Ethan Rain. And I don't think we ever see him again, Brian. I think he gets thrown in that middle of nowhere prison that Riley's talking about. Out and we never see him again. I thought, wow, what a lousy end for a cool character. I thought it would have been nice to have him escape again so he could come back and do more chaotic things, but I think you're right. I don't believe we ever see him again in the series. Yeah, I mean, but maybe maybe sad. maybe four times through they've they've done what they can with him but uh eh, you know it it works and i mean it's it's the first buffy birthday episode that's not about buffy either <laughs> you know it's all about giles yeah, which true. is another thing which is kind of cool but i i like that giles gets returned to normal or you know he's back to his regular state and the whole interplay with him and buffy there at the end is like how did you know it was me he's like no one could look that in the way with me and that's when, yeah, I, think, I thought that was great. Yeah, and I think that's when he knows, eh, I am a part of the group. I need to just kind of lighten up a little bit. And I like that. I like that Giles came around that circle in this episode. Yeah, I agree. I liked it, too. And what I really like is the end of the episode, too, where they show, uh, you know, Professor Walsh going into a highly secured area that we imagine she's only got access to. And the room she enters is none other than 314. So oh. it leaves you hanging with the knowledge that something's going on at the initiative that isn't on the up and up. And Maggie Walsh is involved in it. And we, you know, the things we, we were afraid of to begin with, that she's not all she seems, that she's got some nefarious role here, might actually be true, you know, to be continued. Yep. And, and I like, you know, they, they yep. put us on this role, Brian, and we're, we're starting to move now. 
I agree. Well, Jay, we're at the part of the episode where we give our dustings rating. So what is your dustings rating for episode 12, A New Man? This may be a little surprise, man, but I'm going to go four dustings again. I have so much fun with this episode. This is one of those good standalones that works. I, it's so fun because Ethan Rain is one of my favorite side characters in this show. I'm so sad to see him leave here. And I thought Giles was great in it. Everybody had a good role. There were great lines. It was good comedy. It was good action. I just liked the whole thing. And I like the fact that they've left us hanging with some information that seems to be paying off. We're getting somewhere now. So I'm I'm high on it, man. Four dustings. That's three four dustings in a row for me. Yeah, I'm going to only give it a three dustings. I really enjoyed this episode, too, but I don't think it's strong enough for me to give it a four. I had a lot of fun with it. I laughed my butt off at the whole Giles chasing Maggie in the street bit of it but um for me it's not quite as strong as the last two episodes so i have to go to a three it's a strong three a high three but a three for me nonetheless Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of The Art of Slaying, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. You can find more episodes in the archive section of our website, theartofslaying.com. You can also find links to our social media pages. You can find links to our film podcast, Filmstrip, where you can peruse through the archives of some of the movies we reviewed and also read our latest feature from our fellow movie podcaster, Nick, Nick's Picks, where he does some reviews of the television shows he watches. Tons of content for you. You can find us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We really appreciate that. And most of all, we appreciate your listenership and support. So until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in to The Art of Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios, and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Grr, arg. 